Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Yeah, so I've been uh, wanting to talk about this topic for quite a while and because of something I think that's relevant for all of us. So to start this morning, Kirk has been speaking a vision over us this year which is better together in him. So hopefully some of you are familiar with that. He's been speaking on that for a while. Now, I like it. I like most of it. I like the idea of being better. Who wouldn't want to be a better version of themselves? I like the idea of being better in him because I love my Jesus and I always want to walk with him in life. The part that I'm not so keen on has been the together. Yes, someone clapped. And as we know, well, I'm just going to be honest. It's because of the peoples, all right? People hurt you. They disappoint you, they betray you, they abuse, they exclude, they gossip, they take advantage, they backstab, they get caught up in power plays, they are greedy, they are selfish. And the Christians, well, they're the worst, aren't they? Church would be awesome if it wasn't for the Christians. Those people, sometimes people say to me, Nikki, I like the idea of God and I'm open to that, but don't ask me to do church. The way Christians act... I don't want to be around them and I don't blame them. I've been in church my whole life and I hang my head sometimes in despair at the behaviours that I see. So they have a point, but yet Jesus still calls us to do the together. Throughout the whole Bible, God intertwines the story of community and how essential it is to the human race. Adam had his Eve, Noah had his wife, his sons, his daughter-in-law, Abraham created nations, Moses had his adoptive mother, Gideon had his army, David had his Jonathan, Jesus had his disciples. So it's high on God's list of must-have because he keeps incorporating it into the story of the human race. But living together in community is one of the hardest things that we can do. Behaviour imperfections, personality difference, cognitive impairment, selfishness, fear, pride, divided opinions conflicting ideals, all of this puts pressure on the idea of relationship. And sometimes it's just too hard and we give up. The bad news is it's here to stay. The good news is, is that Jesus gets it and he understands the challenge and he gives us good ideas as to how we can navigate this. Now God created us with the innate desire for relationship. Part of what makes us human is the need to belong. We need close and caring relationships marked by emotional depth. We need each other. We learn from each other. We teach each other. Each of us is born with something significant to contribute. There are many things that an individual can't do by themselves, but they do it effortlessly when we do it as a team. So firstly, why is it so important? Now, recently, Harvard um, released some findings from a 75-year longitudinal study of adult development. What that means is, is they studied the same 724 men over a 75-year period. That's commitment. They looked at areas of work, their home, their, wor- uh, their home lives and their health. They looked at their medical records, they did brain scans. Eventually, they started asking their spouses and their children and they've recently released some of the findings from that. Their conclusions were that good relationships 
keep us happier and healthier. The first um, point they made was that social connections are good for us. They found that loneliness kills. People who are more isolated and less happy find that their health declines earlier in life and they often have shorter lives. They then found that it's about the quality of relationship, not the amount of friends that you have. They found that good relationships, which is defined as having people you can count on when you're in need, they protect our brains. They produce sharper memories and we regain our memory, we retain our memory for longer in life. And lastly, they found that the key to this was to actively pursue relationship. They noted that when people leaned into relationship, they achieved better quality connections. So God's good idea for being together is that it's good for our health. Secondly, we need this because we need community to learn from. So how does a person learn a trade? They learn as an apprentice from someone else. How do people obtain a degree? They go and sit and listen to a lecturer in a classroom setting. We learn an instrument, we learn how to drive from another person. We just can't exist without having other people to do life with. But we learn so much more from togetherness. Jesus used several different forums in community to teach about life-giving practices and principles. He taught about marriage, parenting, prayer, money management, love, serving others, sin, wisdom, judging. He taught about humility, teamwork, healing, sacrifice, respect, equality, forgiveness, dealing with fear, anxiety, pride, worry and wounding. He has a lot of good ideas for us and he uses community as the forum to do that. Now, why do we need to learn? When we know better, we do better. We've all got something that we can learn in our lives. We've all got things to improve upon. Now, recently I was helping in the Mercy Centre. I was sorting through clothing, looking on the rack, deciding what we would sell, what we wouldn't. I found a spectacular black sparkly rayon pantsuit. You should come shop in there. There's some, you know, fantastic clothing. And I was listening to a conversation at the table. So the guys were talking and they were telling a bit of their life story. So a lady was saying, she was an older lady, a lovely lady, was talking about when she grew up, it was mum, her three siblings and her. They left dad because he was violent and over the course of their life they suddenly had to move a few times when dad tracked them down. She said mum just worked all the time, she wasn't very educated, this is like 50 years ago. There wasn't child support. Mum just worked as many hours as she could. And I just thought, you know, this is normal. We didn't have a lot of stuff. We didn't do a lot of family things together. Mum didn't, you know, tell us that she loved us and stuff. And she said later on in life, she realised how much the mum did love them, how much she worked for them. But she said, this is what we thought was normal. And she said something that really struck me. She said that when she was a young adult, she went and lived with another family. I'm not sure of the circumstances. But she said, it opened my eyes to a different way of life. And this is why Jesus calls us into community. She said, I, I never had thought about educating myself, getting any kind of degree, working my way up through a job. We lived hand to mouth. I thought that was normal. I lived with someone else and I sort of was open to a new way of doing things. 
So community is important for us because we can learn new and better ways of navigating life. It gives us a chance to have a taste of something different. We all have something to learn and we all have something to teach. And that's for anybody here who's sitting here today thinking that you've got nothing to offer to a community. There's only ever going to be one of you with your experiences, with your knowledge, with your background, and don't deprive the world of that. Except that God can work through you. Sometimes I get the feeling in church when we hear the verses of the harvest is plentiful, plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We hear that and we do this. And we look around for someone else to do that. We look around for the holy people, for the good Christians to do God's work. But you know what? Wear it. Slightly terrifying, I know. But, yep, I'm talking to you. Like, you are it. You are the workers. You are God's community. We represent the bride. Even more terrifying. In all of our imperfect glory, we represent Jesus to our community. Right now, your mind goes into that mode of throwing out all kind of disqualifying statements as how you possibly couldn't be that person. But I'm going to tell you today, it's you, accept it. Just getting my mum bossy voice on them. So whether we like it or not, we need to grow and develop as a community to maintain good health. Being together is good for us. Now here's another one. God's best work is done through people. Again, kind of hard to absorb. That's why Jesus took the form of a human. The only way that God could offer us the option of eternal life was for him to become the form of a man. It's his good idea. And he continues to do his kingdom work through people. So the question then for me is how do we do community? How do we do it in a healthy way? How do we do good community? Jesus navigated the disappointment of people. He understands what it's like, but he still maintained relationship. So we're going to look into the Gospels this morning to find some answers. Before we do that, I'm just going to add a disclaimer. I mentioned to a few people about what I was going to talk about today, and they get this look in their eyes, panicked, and said, are you talking about me? Are you directing that towards me? I'm just going to say, this is not to any particular individual situation or relationship in the church. It did show me, though, that we all struggle with this. We can all grow in this area. So don't take it personally, but my prayer is that you're personally challenged. The other thing is, as I was preparing, I was shaking my head, remembering my own imperfections. How can I possibly speak about how to do relationship well in Jesus I was just thinking of all the times I've failed, of all the people that I've hurt here in the church. So I just wanted to reassure you that this is for me as much as it is for anyone else because I am very much still learning. So firstly, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus did in his ministry to grow relationship. First one's really simple. We call each other. In Matthew 4, verse 18 says... As Jesus was walking besides the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat, and their father followed him. Now, in this passage, it highlights two very important principles for building community. It's really complicated. Pay attention. One person says, hey, follow me. The other person says, okay. I will cover that again. One person says, follow me, let's hang out. The other person says, okay. So it requires both the asking and the answering. And we all have responsibility to do both of those things. What Jesus is demonstrating when he called his disciples was intentional interaction. He chooses to build a community. The disciples choose to say yes. Sometimes we have trouble with saying yes. Do I actually want to be in community? Do I want to do relationship? If the answer is no, that's okay. We're going to talk about that a bit later. God understands. So that's the first point. We call each other. We are intentional about the asking and we accept. The second point is we build a small community. Now, I'm not saying to you today you must be friends with everybody in the entire universe Jesus had a small group of 12. That was his main group. He had other disciples and followers, and if he was on Facebook, he would definitely friend everybody. But when it came to sharing daily life, he input a lot into one small group. Like the survey said, quality over quantity. The way we do this at Vineyard is we have kinship groups, we have women's groups, we have men's activities, we have play group, we have Mercy Centre, whatever works. It doesn't have to be a formal group. It doesn't even have to be a formal church group. These are just good places to start, to start to build relationship. It's also particularly important to understand how you've been built and be free in that. Some of you are cringing at the idea of being around people constantly. That would be me. And that's okay. God Ask God to show you, how do I work? What's the best way that I function in relationship? and help me to be in community. The third point is, and this is my personal favourite, is to build community, we eat together. Yep. Now there's lots of references to this in the Gospels. John 2, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. John 12, 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. Now, obviously eating food is a basic activity needed for human life. It doesn't need to be written about in the Bible. We all do it. It's not that exciting. We just eat. It's everyday stuff. However, it features in the Gospels, which tells me how important eating together is for community. Now, think about this. You go into someone's home to share a meal. You see their stuff. see their favourite possessions. You get to see the reality of their house. If you came to my house right now, you will see reality. School holiday, fun. 
Yeah, tomorrow it's going to be a busy day. Back to school. You put food in your mouth that someone else has prepared. Someone else has touched that food that you're putting in your mouth, which is like, you know, when you think about it, really. But what that speaks of is intimacy. It's important to create intimacy, otherwise relationship won't grow. So through the sharing of meals, we build intimacy. The act of highlighting eating together in the Bible also tells me about the importance of doing everyday life with each other. So not only do we eat together, we just do together. Jesus and his disciples went to lots of Jewish festivals. Festival of Dedication, Festival of the Tabernacle, Festival of the Passover, like they partied on. They did weddings, they went out to the countryside, they went to the mountainside, they fished together, they travelled together. All of this entails us to get to know each other pretty well. And this is important for building relationship, is we do everyday life with each other. Now, I work in a shelter for homeless young people. I'm a youth worker. And one of the things I love about residential youth work is it affords us a great opportunity to build relationship. It's not a nine-to-five office situation where you might... Um, have a client come in for some counselling and, you know, you get to know each other but it's an hour a week and off they go. You wear your nice work clothes when you're in an office, you do your hair and your makeup. Well, some of us, I don't. But it's very different from living in a house with someone. So in the shelter, we engage side by side with the young people. We eat together. We do household chores and poop off the chicken perch together. We hang out washing together. We grocery shop together. And there's a great reality and uh, from doing day-to-day life together. Now, when I first started working at a shelter, I was very young, and I had to deal with the professional world, then I would do night shifts, and I would just automatically put on a bit of makeup and go to work. And very quickly, I was like, why am I doing this? Part of my job is like, I quickly realised that the clients didn't care what I looked like. They just cared that I was there for them. And so I fully embraced that. I grew up in Kalanga. I'm a bogan. I would wear my pyjama bottoms in winter to work with my Ugg boots. I was comfortable. And it didn't make a difference to my youth work practice. In fact, I think it probably helped a little bit because it was instead of I am the worker and you are the client, it's we're two people having dinner together and then we're going to watch a movie and then you know, everyone's off to bed. So relationship can have a big Um, growth spurt when we interact with each other on day-to-day life. And so my challenge just for this little point today is to look at, outside of this context, how do I do day-to-day life with people in the community? Now, number four, not only do we do day-to-day life together, but we do kingdom activity together. We use our small communities to affect change in larger ones. In the gospel, they did baptising, they preached, they healed people, they fed people, they taught, they served. Outside of our own small communities, we then can engage with others that we don't know yet. Jesus and the disciples put themselves in situations where they were face-to-face with people and all their mess. And pretty much it wasn't really within the four walls of a church. It was on the street, it was at festivals, it was in the countryside, it was in people's homes, it was on the jetty when they were coming back from fishing. And can I just say, please don't focus just on walking life with people that are like you. I, I get it. It's, it's easy. 
It's a bubble. I like being around people that think the same as me. Sometimes I need that. I need easy. But God asks us, and in fact, he calls us to engage with people that are different from us. The lady in the Mercy Centre, she moved in with a family that's very intimate, can I just say, that's taking relationship, that's commitment, that's hardcore to say, hey, come live with us. And she learnt things. So she was different from them, but they embraced her, it gave opportunity. People need us to learn from us and we need to learn from people that are different from us. Don't be arrogant and think you've got it all together and you've got so much to offer the world. Understand that we all grow, we're all changing and to allow God to work opportunities in our life. Now Jesus also sent out the disciples in pairs at one point. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal disease and sickness in Matthew 10. He told them to go to the lost sheep and to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we are called to do kingdom activities together with intent and purpose, not only to grow the kingdom of God, but to grow us as well. Number five, how do we do community better? We are available. Jesus often was teaching. He went out to teach. He had his parables. I'm sure he had his three-point sermon tucked away in his head. But he allowed himself to be interrupted by people who were desperate for healing. And that to me speaks of, let's just be available to each other. Okay, let's not get so caught up in tasks, in religious activities, that we just can't be available to each other when people need someone to pray for them or just to listen to them or cook a meal for them. Number six, we grow community by giving it time. Jesus spent a lot of time talking with just his disciples. He would explain parables to them after he's spoken to the crowds. The disciples would ask questions. He would give them like a more in-depth explanation. So it not only takes time, but it takes time doing activities together. Now over the holidays, I live a pretty glamorous life. And my best friend come over and help me clean out my pantry. It's exciting stuff. So talk about intimate. She got to see the spices that have been there since 2012. You know, the half-eaten packet of biscuits at the back of the cupboard where I wasn't aware there was like a little mouse eating it. She got down all the empty boxes of Weetabix and put them in the bin for me. So, you know, this is doing life with each other. It doesn't have to be elaborate religious activities. Number seven. We suffer together. Now, this one's really important. This is not just about, hi, how are you going? Yeah, I'm great. Let's get a coffee. Bye. The Canaanite woman begged Jesus to drive a demon out of her child. The group of friends begged Jesus to heal their deaf and mute friend. Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, pleading for him to heal his dying daughter. The centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, who was paralyzed and suffering terribly. These aren't my own dramatic words. These are straight out of scripture. Jesus and the disciples met people directly in the midst of their suffering. He didn't wait for them to be easy. He didn't wait for them to be nice. He didn't wait for them to be healed. He was like this with them. He was with them in the midst of it. Sometimes he had another agenda. 
There's a few references in the Gospels when it says Jesus was wanting to retreat to the mountains or Jesus was walking this way to go and preach, but he was moved by compassion. He allowed himself to be moved by compassion. Hear this carefully today. I'm not saying that you should be more compassionate because you're going to fail. If we just try and make ourselves something better, we can't do it in our own strength. So this is not about a list of shoulds that you need to do to be a better Christian. This is about, Lord, I struggle. I don't want to be bothered by people and their problems. Fill me with your compassion. Show me how to do that. When there is suffering, this is when relationship comes under pressure. We see each other in all our glory and it can be really tough. It can also produce lifelong change. It can also cement the connections that we so desperately need to live a good life. Now, number eight, how do we do community better? We challenge each other. So Jesus, there's like these 5,000 people that have been listening to you all day. They're kind of hungry. I checked, Domino's won't deliver out here. So what do you want to do to feed them? What does Jesus say? Feed them. Can you imagine? Like, what? What do the disciples say? Yeah, hilarious, LOL, seriously. What are we supposed to be doing here? So Jesus gave them a challenge and, you know, a pretty seemingly impossible challenge. As we know, Jesus directed them to grab whatever food they could find and bring it to him. He multiplied it. The disciples fed the people. There was even leftovers. Jesus regularly challenged his disciples' beliefs and faith. He gave them opportunity to grow, but he didn't leave them out to dry. He didn't abandon them when they had trouble growing. He partnered with them. Part of doing life together is challenging each other to grow, but not in a, I'm just going to drop you over here, good luck with that. It's let's do this together. Now, number nine. This is a hard one. Sometimes we have trouble understanding this. How do we do community better? How do we do together? We speak plainly to each other. As you read through the Gospels and the way Jesus led his disciples, it wasn't all please and thank you and may I, excuse me. Jesus challenged the way that he thought, the way the disciples thought. He challenged the way they acted. He confronted them. He scolded them. It wasn't all a perfect, happy, serene, rainbows, fairy floss kind of, we're just Jesus and it's fantastic. In fact, I think for the disciples it would have been downright confronting to be associated with Jesus, to be in his community. It would have been uncomfortable. It would have been embarrassing. He challenged everything that was part of the religious culture at the time. Lots of people didn't like it. Lots of people were angry at him. So we speak plainly to each other. We live life honestly with each other. The important thing here is to look at how did Jesus speak plainly to his disciples? How did he confront them with the reality of their humanity? He let them know when he was disappointed. He didn't hide his feelings. He didn't stuff down the rage so he wouldn't offend anybody. He didn't pretend. What he did do was he always would seek to correct, encourage and teach a better way to the people in his community. He spoke plainly. It wasn't flowery. 
he spoke clearly. His end goal was not to belittle them, shame them, control them. His heart was truly for them to grow an understanding of love and the ways of love so that they could reach maturity in themselves and ultimately access eternal life. So we can speak much-needed truth in each other's lives. If you think that nobody's got anything new to teach you, then you are in trouble because there are things we don't often even see about ourselves and we need people to reflect that to us for us to grow. But we speak to each other like this because we want better things for that person. Not to prove a point, not to prove our own rightness. You are not responsible for other people's feelings. That's a hard one to get our head around sometimes. Our feelings are our own. I actually don't have any power to make someone happy or to make someone angry. Okay, that stuff is inside of them. We can be honest with each other. However, we are responsible for providing that truth in a way that brings life and in a loving way. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on and give some examples of what that looks like. Number 10, to grow community. This is a hard one. We persist with each other. So if you picture the Last Supper, Jesus, his disciples sitting together for their Passover meal, this is the last time they're going to be together in this format. It's the last opportunity Jesus has to impart to his disciples wisdom and truth. He's trying to tell them he's going to be crucified. Like, this is kind of big, you know? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer for you. I am going to take the sins of the entire world to the cross. They've seen his miracles. They've seen his power. They should have an idea of who he is. What do the disciples do? They argue with each other. Who was the greatest among me? Do you think at this stage Jesus might have been a little bit like, I am done with you people. Hello? Have you learnt nothing? Why are you arguing about who's most important? He must have been frustrated with them at their selfishness, their small-mindedness. But instead, he doesn't get out and walk out of that room. He continues to submit to God's will for him. He went to the cross. He experienced great pain and suffering. He took our sins upon him. He persisted with relationship and community. He didn't give up on people that couldn't even appreciate for who, what he is. And that's an important one for us today to start to think about is relationship stuff is hard. And it's, it's easy and it's understandable when people go, I can't deal with this, I've got enough stuff going on, I'm walking away. But Jesus asks us to persist with each other. We defend each other. Now, when Jesus was doing his stuff, his work, the Pharisees, who were the religious Jewish leaders at the time, were less than impressed with him. In fact, they were very threatened and terrified by him because he turned their whole way of life, all of their thinking, their theology, turned it all on its head. So they would try to criticise Jesus. They would try to catch him out doing the wrong thing. They would try to disparage him. They would try and badmouth the disciples. An example of this is in Mark 7. On this particular day, the disciples were eating and were doing so with unwashed hands. What this means is, it's not that they you know, didn't wash their hands after they went to the toilet. It means that there were special hand-washing ceremonies at the time in the Jewish culture that people were required to do before they ate. 
If they didn't do the ceremonies, it was then considered that their food was defiled. So the Pharisees were like, your disciples are just sitting here eating unwashed food, they're defiling their food. What sort of person are you to say that you follow God? So Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Again, plainly speaking, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, community living is not going around and picking fights with each other's enemies to defend them, okay? But Jesus spoke up for the people he did community with. It's standing by each other if we are attacked or criticised. Even more than that, God calls us to submit to and stand by our leaders, not blindly, because our leaders are just people. And we've covered how much people can suck. We have also spoken about the importance of speaking truthfully and plainly to each other. So we support our leaders. We can speak to them honestly, but we support them. If this is a challenge for you, then I challenge you to ask God to help you accept, love and submit to your leaders and to each other. Now, every go- each of the four Gospels in the Bible starts, each book pretty much starts with an outline of an accounts of um, John baptising Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of submission stuff that's going on there. There is Jesus the man submitting to God the Father. There is Jesus the perfect being submitting to being baptised by an imperfect being. There is John serving his king. So this really talks about honour and how we can defend each other, how we can submit to each other to grow in relationship. The next one, number 12, this one's really hard. And my wonderful friend Karen recently was talking about this on Facebook. We choose relationship over being right. That just grates. Because I'm right. And in this world, you stand up for yourself. Okay, this is what we're taught, isn't it? Now, there is absolutely opportunity and there is reason to speak up when truth needs to be said. This is a different issue. It's the opposite completely of our natural instinct and what we're taught to do outside of the church. Now, I'm not saying we should pretend that everything's fine and I'm not affected by other people's actions and that people aren't responsible for what they do. Pretense is just a waste of time. I'm saying that if at all possible... Interact with a person in a way that gives opportunity for growth. It's asking yourself the question in the middle of conflict, how can I best encourage this person? It's really hard to do with prickly people, as I like to call them. And we need to ask for God's help to do it. There are times when people just are not ready for a relationship and it's okay to let go of the need to make them ready. We need to let people be who they are. We need to trust that God knows what he's doing with that person. And there are times when we do have to walk away from the interactions and let God deal with what that person is doing. Now the last one, actually it's probably my favourite. I do like eating, but I also like this as well. Now all of the introverts in the room, that would be me, You may have been freaking out about all this talk of togetherness (laughs) and 
you know, how we can be in community with everyone and have relationship. So I'm just going to say you can relax, all right? When I read through the Gospels, there are frequent reports of Jesus went off in solitude to pray or Jesus separated from the crowd and went off alone. I'm going to cheer. Yay for that. I can't do people all the time. Okay, I can't do my children all the time. I mean, seriously, tomorrow back to school. (laughs) Love you guys if you ever listen to this. Um, Jesus was alone in the physical, but he was still relationally in contact with God. And there's a lot of value in cherishing our individual relationships with God. Sometimes people use activities and friends as a way to kind of avoid dealing with the stuff that's too hard for them to look at, the stuff that's making them uncomfortable. Let's do more stuff. Do you want to hang out? Let's do this together. And again, like a lot of this stuff, it's not wrong. It's when it takes over our relationship with God. The important thing here is just to let Jesus and the person he is, the being that he is, soak into our core. Now, we all do that differently. Sometimes we fall into the trap of, well, it needs to look like this little religious box. That means I'm spending alone time with God. This morning, I ask that you have your own conversation with God. How do I connect with you, Lord? What's the best way that I do that? Some of us, it's through music. Some of us, it's through going out in nature. Some of us, it's just when we're driving. God has made you to be the person you are. Don't try and change who you are to fit another person's idea of what a good Christian looks like. We all recharge, we all de-stress differently. So make sure you understand how you work as a person and how we best can fill ourselves up so we then have the ability to go out into community. Now just on that, life comes in seasons, okay? Let yourself be fully engaged in the season you're in. When my kids were small, I didn't need much of a big community, all right? Barely left the house sometimes. I didn't want to go out and talk to the peoples. Like, seriously, I'd have to brush hair and, you know, change clothing that's not stained and it was just all too much. So we have seasons of life where we do the best we can with what we have. Jesus understands that. Sometimes we're experiencing great difficulties and we're in a season of just receiving from our community. Other times we've been battered relationally. We've been through some really difficult stuff with people or circumstantially. And there's no point functioning out of a place of emptiness that's not filled with God's Holy Spirit and it's not filled with the intentions that God has for you. It's okay to take the time to retreat, to lean on the people that you do life with together and to heal. So don't let false guilt talk to you today and say, well, you should be hanging out with more people and it's just really hard and I've had blah, 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 blah happen. It's okay. God understands. The beautiful thing about Jesus, he can meet us in whatever season we are at and he will take whatever we have, which personally hasn't always been much that I've had to give, And he multiplies that. So don't make yourself feel guilty that you don't produce outcomes in relationship and you don't make things happen for other people. We simply don't have that power. What God asks us to do is submit to his good ideas for us about how we can do community. 
So there's lots of reasons there, lots of um, tips that God gives us as to how we can do community better. But there's this other area that I wanted to address. How do we live community life with people who abuse us, people who attack us, criticise, judge, they wish us harm? Jesus dealt with this. And I wanted to look at this morning as to how he handled it. The first thing he did was super hard, I find it super hard, is that he accepted and forgave them. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Judas was going to be instrumental in his death. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. Despite Peter's declarations, he knew that Peter would pretend that he had nothing to do with Jesus. That would hurt. He knew that these were his closest friends and they were going to stab him in the back. But he still ate with them. And he still shared his most significant meal with them, which was the Last Supper. He accepted that they would fail him. And he forgave them before they even did what they did. He knew what they were going to do. He forgave them before it even happened. So this morning, can we make a deal with each other, please? Can we all agree that we are going to disappoint each other at some point? Hi, my name's Nikki. I'm going to disappoint you. You laugh, it's true. Can we do away with expectation of perfection in each other? Sometimes people think I'm this wonderful, loving person because of my work, always full of wisdom and grace. No, I'm not. I struggle with people and their behaviour, their selfishness. Sometimes I decide I'm done with people, I crawl in my little hole, I have nothing to do with anyone for a while. I don't like every single person that's ever set foot in the Mercy Centre. I'm being honest. Difficult behaviours, difficult personalities. People can make huge mistakes sometimes. So let's choose right now that we accept this about each other and we forgive each other before these mistakes have even been made. Jesus chose Judas as one of his 12. Like if there was ever a job in the history of the world that like was, you know, I want to be in that job, it was one of Jesus' disciples. And he picked this man knowing that he would betray him. I wanted to read through John 6. Now this is when Jesus and his disciples had been out teaching. Jesus was talking about the bread of life, trying to get people to understand that they needed spiritual bread, which was him, as well as physical bread to sustain their bodies and their souls. Now the Jews were grumbling. They couldn't understand this. I understand. It was a bit weird, I suppose. The the concept that who they knew as Jesus, to them he was just a dude, like he was just the son of Joseph. How could he be living bread? And they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? John chapter 6, verses 60 to 70 says, On hearing it, as in Jesus' explanation of the bread, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who could betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though was one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Now, for me, this is just a beautiful story of Jesus loving and forgiving right through the offence. He acknowledged his humanness. You do not want to leave me too. He acknowledged in that moment his insecurity. But he accepted that sinful human nature is going to falter and he loves them anyway. He accepted that some people couldn't understand his teachings, but he chose to keep serving. So this is the call I feel that God has for us as a community. In relationship, we accept each other in their humanness and we forgive them anyway. It's really hard. I I understand it. We need to ask God's help in doing that. Now, secondly, how did Jesus handle criticism and attack? Acknowledge your anger and disappointment and persist in relationship. Jesus was regularly frustrated and angered by the disciples' behaviour, their lack of faith, their petty arguing, their immature thinking. He understands your frustration with people and their behaviour. I mean, the disciples were right there when he multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people. Like, hello, miraculous. Then they see Jesus walk on water. Then Jesus defends his men against the Pharisees' accusations of eating defiled food. He heals a deaf and mute man. He casts demons out of a man's daughter. Then, in Mark 8, Jesus again speaking to a large crowd of 4,000 this time. They're hungry. Jesus calls his disciples around and says, Hey guys, I have compassion for these people. They've been listening for three days and haven't eaten. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse with no food in their bellies. So he's calling his brothers to back him up. Did they say, Yeah, ma'am, we're on it. We saw what you did last time. Totally ready for it. Nope. They said, Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Can you imagine Jesus? Like, seriously. You've just seen me do this. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me heal people. So Jesus gets them to fetch the bread. He multiplies it. (laughs) Does it again. His response in the scriptures was, do you still not understand? You can just feel his frustration and disappointment in those words. And yet after this event, he continues to do community with them. He continues with relationship. He perseveres. They continue travelling together. They do kingdom work. They go to villages. They're living in close quarters with each other again. He continued to serve and love a community of people who didn't understand him, who mocked him, even despised him. He persevered with them because he loves us. Don't deny your natural human response when we're disappointed. Don't pretend. Feel what you feel then go to the Father and allow him to fill you back up with his purposes and his heart. Now the third way that I believe we can deal with difficulties in relationship is own your own wounds. Now most of what drives poor behaviour 
I've been in social work for 21 years, so I've seen a lot of poor behaviour. Most of what drives it, our mindsets, our actions, is our unhealed wounds in ourselves. We react from a place of deep injury, where rejection, abuse, fear, betrayal have lacerated our trust in others and even our desire to be in relationship with people. The enemy loves it, makes him rubs his hands with happiness. We give up trying. I don't want to deal with people, it's too hard. I'm just going to retreat and just think about myself and nobody else. The enemy loves it. It keeps us lonely, keeps us disconnected, keeps us stunted in our growth. It keeps us ineffectual in who we are as people. Before we can then enter into community, we must ask the Father to show us the way to healing. What I mean by that is we ask God to show us where do I react from. Sometimes it's hard to know. In fact, most of the time it's hard to know because it's often unconscious. It's developing awareness of who we are, why do we do the things we do? Why do we do that stuff that later on we go, that was a really horrible thing. I don't want to be that sort of person. But how do we change? We ask God to show us, show us about our identity. We seek prayer ministry with others. We get counselling. We learn how to forgive. It's a process. We accept our own and each other's weaknesses and failures. Now, in the midst of this, we have these feelings. God made us with them. Sometimes they're really annoying. Don't ignore them. Listen to them. We need to sift through. When we have a strong emotional response to someone, we feel offended, we feel grieved, we need to look at our feelings and go, is this my stuff or is this their stuff? Now, I'm going to give you two examples of what I mean. A few years ago, we had a prayer night down here, which is praying for the leaders of the church. So it was great. Should come when we have them. And they prayed for Kirk and Nick and prayed for Neil and prayed for the lady who was doing the children's ministry. And they're like, we'll pray for Nikki and the Mercy Center. Yep, people just walked away. I'm like, what? And I heard someone say, who's she? What does she do? And it hit me really hard. I went, no. Notice me. That really hurts. You've overlooked me. You don't know me at all. Why aren't people caring about me? Now, that's not normal. For those of you who know me well, I don't like being the centre of attention. I like to just do what I do with my mates in the Mercy Centre. And I'm quite happy. I get an incredible satisfaction and enjoyment out of my work. I don't need public accolades. But my reaction made me stop and go, well, why does this upset me so much? And I got a little bit angry. I'm like, do you know, don't you people know what it costs for me to do the Mercy Centre? It was hard. I had three small children. I had 30 or 40 volunteers. We had to find $50,000 a year to run. I started to get very, <laughs> very um, righteous justifying my worth and why did that person walk away and why did that person not even know who I am and it was someone who's been here for a while they should know me thankfully God intervened and stopped this internal discourse that I was having I was like hang on this is not normal for me to react I'm reacting very strongly is this my stuff or is this something they've done wrong so then God reminded me 
hey, remember when you were a kid and you weren't noticed and you had no friends ever and you were sad all the time? Remember that? Oh, okay, Lord, yep. This is why I'm reacting so intensely to me feeling like nobody notices me. And that was a moment that then I can choose, all right, perhaps instead of, you know, ringing them up and telling them how I feel angrily, I could then just let God heal that wound in me. That's my stuff. Other people's stuff. Years ago, I was working at the shelter and I had a young person come in. He was 17 years old. He didn't like me upon sight. He was a pain in the butt. We worked in the shelter. We had to make them do chores. It's wonderful getting teenagers to do chores. Sometimes they didn't want to do them, shockingly. We had to teach them how to cook. We had to take them to appointments. We had to um, introduce them to other ways of talking to people. Now, he was constantly defiant, oppositional, rude, verbally aggressive, and it went on and on. And I'm like, Lord, it was a Christian shelter I worked in. I went, no, I don't want to deal with this kid. It's too hard. He's really pinging me off. He's a jerk. And I understand he's got problems, whatever, but this is just, I don't want to deal with this every day. And one day I said to him, what's your problem with me? And he said, you look like my mum and you act like my mum. And I went, damn it. Gonna have to be nice to you and suck it up. But I sort of realised this is not about me at all. This is about you. Now, this is a really important point I want you to listen to. I didn't sit back and go, oh, well, okay, you know, Yes, he did have a very abusive background. A reminder of my mum, so that's okay, you can just speak to me like garbage all the time and yell at me and swear at me, that's totally fine. No. I said to him, I understand that pain, I understand that you've got stuff going on, it's not okay to speak to me like that. It's not okay to use those kind of words to me, and if you're going to defy what I ask you to do, there will be some consequences. So going back to that persistence, Okay, acknowledging it was hard. I didn't want to be around him. Acknowledging my own weakness in that. Speaking plainly to him. Okay, being a Christian isn't about just pretending everything's nice and wonderful all the time. We can speak truth to each other, but we speak it in a way. I didn't attack him, didn't call him names. I didn't tell him what an idiot he was. I didn't yell at him. I came close, but I didn't. So understanding that, okay, this is his stuff and I can't change him. Accepting our own helplessness when someone behaves in a way that's offensive, I can't change you. I need to let God do what he needs to do. The temptation was to tell him off frequently. I gritted my teeth many occasions. I did continually say to him, this is not okay, you can't speak to me like this. Sometimes I kind of hoped when I turned up to work he'd been kicked out, just being real. But I persisted with him. Now, God was really kind in how he managed that because eventually this poor boy was assaulted outside of the shelter, was physically assaulted on the street, and I took him to the police. He wanted to make a complaint. We were there for a very long time. My shift ended I didn't go home. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see this process through to the end. This is what God calls me to do. From that day on, my best friend. And he said, like, you tell me, Nikki, that you care about me, but I never believed that until I had showed it. 
And from that point on, he would tell off the other kids for being verbally aggressive towards me. So he was like my little watchdog. So it is important for us to own our own wounds. And when we have bad interactions with people to go, what's my stuff, what's their stuff? And Lord, give me the grace to accept it when it's their stuff. Now lastly this morning, the other thing that Jesus did was he let go. He let go of the need to control outcomes. He allowed people to make up their own minds about him. He spoke truth, he spoke words of life, and then he moved on. He encountered a town that rejected his teachings, didn't want to engage in relationship. He shook the dust off his feet and moved on to the next town. He was always ready, though, if they changed their minds and were wanting to talk to him, he made himself available. See, we were created with free will and the ability to choose relationship or not. Sometimes people just are not ready for healthy relationship. They're frightened of it. It's what they most want in the world, but they're terrified of the vulnerability it's going to require. They hold on to their need for revenge. They hold on to their hurt. They hold on to their isolation. They don't want to give up their fear. They don't want to give up their perceived power. Do we reject them as people? No. We allow them to have the freedom of this decision and we follow where God brings us into other life-giving opportunities and we wait for them, just as Jesus waits for us. When Jesus first invited you into a relationship with him, when he first introduced truth into your life, there's a fair few of us that went, yeah, not for me. And how sad would that be if God said, okay. He persists. He kept pursuing us. He kept courting us. He waited for us. The people that don't want to work with us in a good, healthy relationship, we let them go and we wait for them at the same time. We forgive them just as God forgives us. Remembering that forgiveness doesn't always equate to ongoing relationship, it means we release that person's offence from us. And you know what? Sometimes when we release the offence, the idea of a continual relationship suddenly becomes a bit easier. So this morning I'm asking you to let go of the need to be right, of abusive relationships, of controlling outcomes and controlling healing. Lord, if you just did it this way, person would be fine. Just fix them. Let go and let him do what he needs to do in his own always better way. To let go of unreasonable expectation of others. To let go of selfish ambition. To let go of trying to force God's, God's hand in our lives. I'm asking you to release others from the responsibility of carrying your emotions from the responsibility of making you happy and making you fulfilled and feeling good about yourself. Ultimately, it's within our relationship with our Creator that we experience full healing and full fulfilment. Do people and community and relationships play a part in this? Of course. God made us. We are the vehicle through which God works. We can't escape that. We let him do what he needs to do through us. We can even choose to lend ourselves to God's purposes and say, Lord, actively work through me. However, ultimately, it is in the context of relationship with the one that made you that you will experience full healing. And this morning, I'm inviting you to let God's light shine 
on the tapestry of your hurts and wounds and highlight the parts that need mending and restoration. The reason that I desperately want people to allow God to highlight that stuff is he will heal you. He will meet you in that place. And the thing that you've always wanted, the community, the connections, the closeness, it's going to be accessible when God starts to heal us. So this morning as I finish up, I'd like to invite everyone to close their eyes, not to be religious, but to allow for an undistracted conversation with the Father. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine as well. Now I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is to read out a prayer that I wanted to pray over us. Lord, forgive us for abandoning your good ideas of how we can do life together. Forgive us for allowing bitterness and insecurity to blind us to your transforming love. Forgive us for giving people the power to decide our worth instead of you. Lord, heal us. Show us how we can do community better. Keep us always looking outward in order to bless others and connect people with their creator and his love for them. Amen. So this morning as I finish... If anyone wants specific prayer for anything I've talked about today, I know I've covered a lot of stuff. But if you want prayer for learning how to do relationship better, how we can do togetherness better, come up the front, we'll pray for you. If you need to be healed of past wounding, come up the front, we'll pray for you. If you need God to show you the value of relationship, because sometimes we're like, yeah, I get it, but nah. If you would like God to open your mind up to what that will do in your life, come up and you can pray. We can pray for you this morning. So thank you for listening.